Hey everybody, I'm Julia Marie, your experienced guide to the other side, and this is Evolving Humans. If you want clarity around some aspect of your life or spiritual journey, you can go to my website at www.juliamarie.us to book an appointment. But first, take a break from your busy schedule and listen to this. Welcome to Evolving Humans. I'm your host, Julia Marie. And this podcast is for visionary people who are exploring the true nature of reality and want to contribute to the global awakening. You seek to deepen the connection to your multidimensional self so that you can live a more conscious life. In the next episode, I'm going to have a conversation about fear and how it impacts how we live our lives. And since context is important, here's the context for the upcoming discussion. So why is learning about fear important? Well, our biology tells us that fear, when it's expressed in appropriate ways, increases the chances for survival. Conversely, if fear is suppressed or not dealt with, it can lead to anxiety and stress-related disorders. In a moment, I'm going to talk to you about the four types of fear that are highly prevalent in our everyday behaviors and reactions. Yet most of the time, we don't even know that's what's going on. The first thing we all need to remain aware of is that we are hardwired with a complicated array of defense behaviors that are automatically activated because choosing and rapidly implementing the appropriate response in a threatening situation, well, it's critical to our survival. It really is evolution, after all. Without this mechanism, humans wouldn't even be here. Predators would have taken us out millennia ago. Those of us who learned to run from the T-Rex lived to procreate another day. Now today, physical predatory threats are few and far between, but the wiring is still there, and it still works incredibly well to keep us safe from harm. The limbic system is the part of the brain that governs memory, emotions, and survival, and it will automatically jump into action in a mostly instinctive way to keep us safe. One of the most common things to notice today is, although there's no real danger, we are hypervigilant and anxious nonetheless, and the question we need to be asking ourselves is, why? Traumatic experience or prolonged stress causes the amygdala, a part of our brain, to go into hyperdrive. We see and more importantly, feel, a threat in a non-threatening situation. And the result is, we often act in ways we don't understand and or feel like we no longer have control over ourselves and our situation. These neurobiological effects are real. Since our bodies are designed to respond to perceived threats, Certain chemicals are sent into our bloodstream to activate the defenses of the sympathetic nervous system. One of the biggest challenges for all of us these days is that our stress response is being constantly triggered, and therefore there's not enough time for us to metabolize these chemicals. And the result is our nervous system overloads and dysregulates, putting us squarely in survival mode. What was meant to be a temporary defense mechanism is transformed into a permanent state. Our parasympathetic nervous system is dominant. In other words, to put it simply, we are in a constant state of fight, 
or flight. No wonder so many of us have this feeling of diffuse anxiety. The reality is it doesn't even have to be a major trauma such as war, disaster, or other major danger in order to trigger this response. It can be a bad breakup, a divorce, a challenging workplace, or a global pandemic, which was a subtly scary event over an extended period of time. If these effects are not processed, they can affect you in negative ways, including a state where your body responds physiologically in the form of fight or flight when there's not even any real threat, only a perceived one. Now, these fear responses are either active or passive. For example, we can't fight and flee at the same time. The recent research by neuroscientists has identified two different types of neurons responsible for the fear response, and these cells are located in that area of the brain known as the amygdala. One set of cells triggers flight. The other type causes us to freeze. I know I've been saying fight or flight, but there are actually four primary ways our body responds to these types of stressors. Fight. Flight freeze, or fawn. Let's talk about fight first. Our fight response, when healthy, helps us establish and maintain solid boundaries. It's the most well-known response. And on the surface, fight may look like anger. One way for you to tell the difference between anger and fear is to pay attention to where the body sensations are. Anger expresses itself through a tight neck, back and jaw, and fear is typically located in your belly area. When out of balance, it manifests as an active self-preservation function. We tend to move reactively towards conflict with anger and aggression. In other words, we're trying to navigate the situation utilizing conflict as our tool. This can express itself as physical fights, aggression, yelling, throwing things, or even destruction of property. It can be as subtle as balling your hands into fists, crying, being argumentative, feeling a knot in your stomach or your jaw tightening. So what can you do? Well, if you notice yourself responding to a situation in this way, the first thing you might want to consider is to think about how you're setting yourself up to respond in the moment. Notice how your body feels, your heart rate, and whether all of a sudden your breathing is shallow. It's important to devise a coping strategy when you find yourself in this situation. The fight response prepares you for physical reactions. Exercise can help the body calm itself and achieve balance. Deep breathing, warm baths, mindfulness, and being gentle with yourself are also helpful. Yoga or stretching will activate your parasympathetic system which releases anxiety and helps you sink back into the present moment, thus allowing you to feel safe to reconnect. The second way we respond is flight. In a flight response scenario, when we're faced with a dangerous situation, we flee because we believe if we're able to escape the threat and avoid the conflict, we will not be harmed. Essentially, the flight response is avoidant behavior. The objective of fleeing is to put some distance between the predator and the prey, thus increasing our chances for survival. If we're emotionally healthy, our discernment will let us know when it's time to disengage. 
But watch out for these types of behaviors, too, because some other avoidant behaviors can include staying busy. In other words, we extract ourselves from the situation or we head for the exit when things get rough. In an extreme situation, the flight response expresses itself as total isolation. Sound familiar to anyone? So how can I balance this out? One of the quickest ways to snap out of this state is to do things that create an immediate response in your body. Pay attention to where the muscles in your body are tensing up and use your intent to relax them. This will help to relax your mind. Yoga Nidra would be a great form of meditation for you to try. Any form of body work or intentional movement will help diminish the stress response, giving you time to think about how you want to respond instead of acting on your initial impulse. An immediate coping technique is anything that's tactile and grounding. This could include making yourself a cup of tea or other warm beverage, or having a snack of crunchy food. Let's make it healthy. Some celery sticks with almond butter would be a great choice. Building bonded connections with the people around you will help increase the feel-good chemicals that your body is capable of producing, those endorphins and some serotonin. Next up, freeze. A healthy expression of the freeze response helps us to slow down and take stock of the situation before we determine what our next steps are going to be. An unhealthy expression of a freeze response includes anything involving dissociation or other behaviors that immobilize us. We feel frozen and unable to move, or we find ourselves fading out, almost as if we're in a fog or otherwise detached from reality. It's as if we don't feel like we're really present, and we mentally checked out to get away from what's happening in our surroundings and what we're feeling because we're looking for emotional safety. This type of freeze response is an indication that parts of our sympathetic nervous system have reached the point of overwhelm and our entire neurological system is shut down. Imagine a rabbit playing dead in the presence of a predator. In a human, it might take the form of being at a loss for words, having a hard time being present, perhaps we're overthinking things or sleeping too much spacing out or dissociating, or even going numb emotionally or physically. It's like we're temporarily paralyzed as a coping mechanism to prevent further stress to the body. So what can you do as a remedy? Any kind of grounding exercise can help us catch ourselves if we feel ourselves starting to dissociate. A popular exercise recommended by many therapists is simple. The second you feel yourself slipping, immediately scan your environment until you spot a red object. It can be anything. Let's say you see a red ball. Focus your eyes on it. Say, red ball in your mind. Then take a long, slow breath deep into your belly. Repeat this process, looking for another red item. Until you've done it five times. This will help bring us back to our present moment and the space we're in versus the environment we create in our mind when we're in the midst of the freeze response. That freeze response is taking us away from the present moment. The fourth and final fear response is fawning. Many of us may not even recognize this as a fear response. 
Fawning is when we engage in pacifying behaviors or we people-please. We are prioritizing people above all else by doing whatever they want in order to de-escalate the conflict. We often feel it's good to be well-liked and that it's okay to defer to others in order to stay safe, but not when it's at the cost of losing ourselves. Over time, it often reaches a point where we put ourselves and our needs below the needs of others, and then we wonder why we don't feel seen by the other people in our lives. If this sounds familiar to you, be extra gentle with yourself so that you can learn to sort out your feelings from the emotions that belong to others. Pay attention to yourself when you're around other people and give yourself time before you respond in order to begin to break that natural response. In addition to learning how to establish healthy boundaries, awareness is your greatest weapon when it comes to this particular fear response. You do have the ability to establish and maintain your own personal safe space. And give yourself a break because your body and mind just did what it felt it needed to at this time to protect you. And all of us, we only know what we know. And when we know better, then we can do better. Now here's an extra wrinkle. Understanding these four defense mechanisms we use when we encounter fear is often not enough. Most of us have our own unique response pattern depending upon the situation and our upbringing. We usually don't rely on the same fear response every time. Most of us switch between two of the four depending upon the situation we find ourselves in. The most common pairings are fight-fawn or flight-freeze. We also have to pay attention to the real or perceived consequences of our actions. Let's use an example of an ongoing argument with a family member or loved one. In one instance, we just yell and hang up the phone, fight, or we tell them they're right just to keep the peace, fawn. The most important thing to remember here is you're not alone. Learn to identify your behaviors and strategize as to how you can better deal with the tough situations when they arise. Now this week brings a day devoted to being frightened. Halloween. Perhaps the reason we enjoy Halloween so much is because some of the main chemicals that contribute to our fight-or-flight response are also involved in the emotions such as happiness and excitement. So what is the difference between the excited rush that comes from a Halloween scare or feeling completely frightened? Well, maybe it's the context. If we perceive we're in a safe place when that heightened response expresses itself, it will express itself as excitement instead of fear. Let's use the standard haunted house scenario. We know something scary is going to jump out at us. We also know it isn't really a threat and therefore we respond with excitement. Now let's take that same Halloween night, but now you're walking down a deserted street and a stranger starts to follow you. I would bet your brain is going to tell you it's a dangerous situation and it's time to flee. You'll feel your heart beating faster and your muscles twitching in anticipation, and it won't take you long to start running. Remember I talked about how this is an automatic response? That fear response is governed by the amygdala. It's located in the temporal lobe of the brain and is dedicated to detecting how much something stands out to us. Our response to the situation is going to be more pronounced if it's a threat stimulus. If the amygdala perceives a threat, 
it activates other areas of the brain and triggers a release of stress hormones into the sympathetic nervous system. This causes bodily changes that prepare us to respond more efficiently in a dangerous situation. The brain becomes hyper-alert, our breathing accelerates, our heart rate and blood pressure rise, blood flow and glucose to the skeletal muscles increases, and any organ not vital to survival, such as our gut, slows down. There are other parts of the brain that help interpret the perceived threat. These are the hippocampus and prefrontal cortex. These help us to identify whether the perceived threat is real or not. In other words, are we looking at an alligator in the wild or one in the zoo? The thinking circuitry of our brain will reassure our emotional areas that we are safe if we're looking at the alligator in the zoo. If it's in the wild, well, we're preparing to flee. And we need to be aware that fear is also a learned response. Personal experiences, such as being attacked or observing other humans being attacked by an aggressive dog, can cause us to learn to fear aggressive animals. And here's an interesting fact. We learn through instruction, i.e. spoken words or written signs. If we're told something is dangerous, that can trigger a fear response. Let me repeat that last sentence, because it's important. If we're told something is dangerous, especially if we're told it repeatedly, that can trigger a fear response. And when we experience these frightening things with the other people in our lives, those emotions can be contagious in either a positive or a negative way. Your friend laughing in the haunted house can influence us in a positive way. Your neighbor frowning at you in the store, shaking their head in disapproval because you're not wearing a face mask in line with prevailing guidelines might influence you in a negative way. Social learning is a critical factor in influencing the way we experience fear. When we are able to recognize what is and is not a real threat, we feel in control. The perception of control is critical to how we respond to fear. So perhaps we check out a haunted house or other scary or spooky experiences because we know we're not going to be harmed and therefore it gives us some sense of being in control. Some other strategies we can employ to give us this sense of control? Ask for support. And try journaling as a way to process your feelings. Focusing on both your mental and physical health can help you chart a new path to forming habitual responses that are more healthy. One of the most helpful practices is yoga because it calms the survival brain. The other strategy is to find a therapist that specializes in fear responses and work on uncovering the trauma that may be at the root of these responses in order to help us process them. Ultimately, remember to be kind and compassionate with yourself. Whatever fear response you rely on, you've only been doing what you needed to do to survive. And it's going to take some time to learn new behaviors, and that's okay. Now, I cannot talk fear without mentioning meditation. 
I want to spend a quick minute talking to you about the power of meditation to rewire your brain. This helps us to regulate our hyperactive fear response. Recent research clearly shows how meditation physically changes the brain, so we can counter the pathways that have been created by constant triggering of our fear response if we meditate on a regular basis. Tests showed the learning and memory areas of our brain get bigger with meditation. And the amygdala, that area responsible for anxiety and our fear responses, actually shrinks. This change was shown after only eight weeks of regular meditation. Of course, you must keep going to sustain the benefit, but what a powerful tool. So consider exploring various forms of meditation and find one that works for you, even if it's as simple as conscious attention to your breathing. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I appreciate you for continuing to support Evolving Humans. Your ratings and reviews help this podcast be seen and heard by more people. And this means we can help heal this world together.